You know, when Jeff was talking about times in our lives when we're uh, sometimes in a difficult place and we're in a valley in our spiritual lives or in our uh, just our relational lives, and then he brings us out of that or we find ourselves stuck in an area. I was thinking about that also this week, and it goes along with the message that I'm going to be preaching today. Uh, it's interesting what happens to us in different transitions in our life and what God is up to in each of those transitions. And if we become aware of those things, of what God is doing, it causes us to be able to take the next step of faith that he is calling us to take. But if we're not aware of it, a lot of times we remain stuck in the same cycle and pattern of, uh, of just uh, complacency. Uh, I remember uh, a lot of times we get thrust into a situation, right? Like uh, you got to get a job. You know, you graduate college and you will have to get a job. And so you're thrust into this job interview. I remember my first job interview I went to and I tried to be... Uh, as prepared as I possibly could be, I had no work experience. I was right out of high school, and so I went uh, to uh, a place that my uncle recommended. I went in, and I sat down with the boss there, and he asked me a bunch of questions. I tried to answer them as best as I could, and I, I finally got the job. I didn't know what the job was. It was just like you go into this factory and you work, and I found out I was melting gold. I was a gold refinery, and I was having to uh, pour this... Uh, uh, these uh, crucibles full of gold into molds, and, and it was something I had never done before. I guess it took a faith-filled risk, right? Going into the application and doing it, I know there's things that you guys have all done where it's taken you some courage to get past your insecurities, your fears, and take a step of faith and either go for a job or answer yes to a calling that God has given you. See, God does that in our lives all the time. Uh, every time we are moving with God, he's calling us to come closer to him, and he's calling us to place a deeper dependence upon him. Now, we're going to be in the book of Joshua, and we're in Joshua chapter uh, 3. But last week we talked about this woman, Rahab, who was a prostitute. She was stuck in a lifestyle that was very difficult for her. And yet God reached out to her at that time and redeemed her and brought her out and said to her and gave her life and gave her purpose and meaning. And it's the same thing that he does in our lives. He meets us where we are. He speaks into our lives. And then we have a decision to make. Will we follow him? Now we're getting to chapter 3 and it's with uh, the whole nation of Israel Joshua has heard back from the two spies that he sent out that they're going to go forward and they're going to cross the Jordan and go attack Jericho. But God has this purpose and plan here. The first thing that he does is he says to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord your God, and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. So this whole army, the whole nation of Israel is ready together and they're waiting on the next step. And the next step is simple. When you see the priests come and they take the Ark of the Covenant, and this was a piece of furniture inside the tabernacle that represented the very presence of God. When the, the reason they built it like this is because when Moses went up onto the mountain, he had a heavenly vision 
of what was going on in heaven, the worship of God in heaven. There was angels around. There was a throne. There was a mercy seat there. And then there was these angels all around. And so God told them, build an Ark of the Covenant. And so when you see it there on here, you see that this is called the mercy seat, this part here. And this whole thing is called the Ark of the Covenant. And every time Israel would move, they would bring this with them. It represented the very presence of God, and it represented the covenant and the promises that God had made to them. So Moses, uh, so Joshua says, look at when you see the Ark of the Covenant, follow it. That's going to be God's presence, and you follow it, but stay a thousand feet away, you know. Give them space. And why did he tell them to do that? Then you'll know which way to go since you've never been this way before. I like that phrase. Then you'll know which way to go because you've never been this way before. Are there times in our lives when God tells us, you've never been this way before, so you better follow me? There'll be times in your life when I'm sure that will be, will be the case. I've never been this way before. I've never experienced this before. I need to follow after God and what he's telling me to do. I need his presence and his power in my life. You know, I remember when I first placed my faith in Jesus Christ and I asked him to come into my life. It was God, he came into my life. I knew it. I knew it. I couldn't fully explain it, but I knew that the things that I used to do, I really didn't want to do them anymore, and the things that I had always done that were sinful, I became aware of. Like, I I was just so used to doing them that I just thought it was natural, but God said, no, stop doing that. And so, and, and as I began to walk with the Lord, I was only 18 years old, but I remember one of the first things when God spoke to me, it was kind of a funny thing that happened. You see, I grew up with four brothers, and so we would always um, vie for food. You know, there's four brothers. You know, we were 22, 18, uh, 14, and uh, 10 years old. And so when the food came out, you know, when my parents bought the food, on, usually on a Friday, it was gone by the end of the weekend. So this was a weekday, I remember, and um, there was one banana left. And we always had this tradition. We always ate cereal, and we sliced a banana and put it in it. But there was only one banana, and I knew when I came in that last night, I saw in the fruit bowl there was only one banana. So I, I hid it underneath the other fruit, you know, because I wanted to have it for my breakfast that next morning. And so I knew my younger brother uh, would really want that, and he would grab it. He was an early riser, earlier than I, but, you know, he sat there, and he's having his cereal without any banana, and then I bring out the banana, the perfect banana. And you know what? I I used to tease my brothers, my younger brothers especially. I I was terrible at this, but I was good at it too. And so I bring out the banana. I said, oh, you don't, have a, you don't have a banana? And he goes, no, we don't have any bananas left. They're all gone. I said, no, they're not. This is a banana. Look at the banana. It's shaped perfectly. 
smells like a banana. I'm sure it's going to taste like a banana. And he goes, can I have some? I said, I don't think so. (laughs) Come on, give me some of the banana. I said, I think it's all for me. Yes, you know, and so my 14-year-old brother, (coughs) I would try to get him going so that he would get angry. You know, and so while I'm doing this, I hear this voice inside my head say, give him the banana. I said, no way. (laughs) Then I hear the prompting again. Al, give the banana up. And I said, who is that? And, you know, it began, sometimes when you hear the prompting of the Holy Spirit, you just know that thought didn't come from yourself. It had to come from God. Give up your banana, my only, one and only banana. And so what I did is I said, here, take it. And he took the banana. He ate the banana. And I didn't have a banana that day. He didn't even share it with me. But I wanted to say this. What did did it show me? It showed me that the Spirit of God was at work in my life because I wouldn't have thought that thought on my own. It was something that God was changing in me to make me a giver instead of a taker. To make me a lover instead of a teaser. An antagonist. And God began to change my life. You see, when we're in the presence of God, when God begins to work in our presence and in our lives, things happen, things change. Now, we don't have the Ark of the Covenant, do we? But we have something far greater. We have the very presence of God living inside us. This is, what John, this is what Jesus said. This is what he promised. So we're not crossing the Jordan River, but we are going deeper with God than we've ever had before. And we've never been this way before. So we need to pay attention to what Jesus told us would happen to us. He said, I'll ask the Father... And he'll give you another helper, a comforter, an advocate, an intercessor, a counselor, a strengthener, a standby to be with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive and take it this to heart because it does not because and it does not take and take to its heart because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he, the Holy Spirit, remains with you continually and will be in you. And so Jesus introduced to the disciples that they weren't going to have to worship at the tabernacle anymore. The very presence of God was going to live inside them. Now, that sounds strange, Al. Does that say that again in the Bible anywhere? Sure it does. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? So... The Ark of the Covenant is no longer there representing the presence of God. The Holy Spirit himself comes and lives and dwells in us. And so sometimes we get these promptings. Sometimes we get these thoughts. Sometimes God deposits gifts within our lives that we never possessed before, but God gives them to us in order so that he might be glorified, so he might share his love with other people. And he does that in our lives. So getting back to Joshua. Joshua, actually his name in the Hebrew, if you translate it into Greek, it means Jesus. 
So there's a lot of symbolism in the life of Joshua and the people transitioning over the Jordan River. There's a lot of symbolism to our own life. You see, because we have to sometimes make a crossing. We have to cross and go deeper with God than we ever have before, even though we haven't been this way before. But God is calling us to a deeper faith and a deeper relationship with Him. And He does that in our lives. You can be sure of it. That God will move you past your comfort zones right now into a deeper walk with Him. And that's going to take faith. How does faith begin and develop in our life? This is a a quote from Andrew Murray. He says, uh, We need only think for a moment what faith is. It's not the confession of nothingness and helplessness, the surrender, and is it not the confession of nothingness and helplessness, the surrender and waiting to let God work? Is it not in itself the most humbling thing there can be the acceptance of our place as dependents who claim or get or do nothing but what grace bestows. Humility is the disposition which prepares the soul for the living trust. I like that thought. Humility is what prepares us to have faith. Because humility says, Lord, I can't do it. I don't have the strength. I want my banana. I want it now. No, give it up. Okay, I will. But that's the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that's just a little... God can speak to us through bananas. But He can do more than that. He can speak to us in our everyday life, in the situations, in the relationships that we have with one another, in our families, in marriage, in our school, with our friend. God can speak to us about what we are to do, how we are to live, and it begins with humility. Humility is the first step in faith. But pride, pride being self-sufficient, thinking that it's all about us, and it's all about my strength or my determination, that becomes an impenetrable wall when you're walking on the road of faith. That is like having four flat tires and trying to drive a car. You're not going to get very far when we're living by pride, motivated by pride or self-sufficiency. Pride isn't just the opposite of humility, it's the paralysis of faith. Rob Bremer said that in his book, Deep Faith, a very good book. If you get a chance to read it, I encourage you to do that. Do you remember when Jesus was commending people for their faith? One of the people that he said this to, When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Do you remember who he was saying that to? Was it one of the disciples, the apostles? No, it wasn't. It was a centurion. It was a Roman soldier who had a servant that was sick, and the the, uh, centurion ran to Jesus and said, Jesus, could you heal my servant? He's a very good servant. He's back home. He's sick. And if you could just speak the word, you could heal him. And then he says, I know you can do this because I'm a commander of an army. And if I tell one of my soldiers to do this, he'll go and do it. If I tell somebody not to do something, they won't do it. So Jesus, 
You don't even have to come over to my house, put your hands on him, pray over him. You just have to speak the word. And then he said, wow, I have not seen such great faith. You see the humility that the centurion showed? Here he was a commander of over 100 men, and yet he was able to show this humility and this dependence upon Jesus. And then Jesus was praised him for his faith and shared it as an example to the disciples about great faith. Great faith begins with humility. Great faith begins with dependence upon God. And that's why we're doing this inside-out praying. Why? We start inside our soul. We look at places, Lord, am I just depending upon myself to live this life? Am I just depending on what I can do to get by? Or am I depending on you? You know, as I was thinking about this 21 days of prayer, and every time I put out the 21 days of prayer, I keep on saying to myself, I know people are too busy. In Long Island, everybody's working late. Everybody's on the go. Everybody's driving somebody somewhere. You know, how are you going to have 21 days of prayer and fasting? I mean, who's going to buy into this? And I said, and even sometimes I'll say to myself, I'm too busy to pray. I got too many things to do. And you know what that is, really? The Lord started shining the light on that's pride. That's saying, Lord, I can handle it myself. I'm too busy to depend upon you. And what God wants us to do is change that way of thinking. Or have you ever thought, it doesn't matter if I pray. God's in control of everything. This is like a theological thing to think about prayer. You know, This is like theologians think this way. It doesn't really matter if I pray or not because God is in control of all things. And so what if I don't pray, right? And that, and that is also based on pride, right? It's based on that we don't... Prayer is not just getting things done. It's having a relationship with God. It's having a time when you're quiet before Him and you hear Him speak to you and you can talk to Him. That's why I think when Joshua tells the people to get ready to get moving, he says this to them. He says, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. What he was saying is, Consecrate, set yourself apart, get ready, prepare your heart, because tomorrow God's going to do amazing things around you, and you want to be able to see them and recognize what He's doing. A lot of times we don't recognize what God's doing in our lives because we're, we're not aware of it. Our eyes aren't open to it. See, God was at work in the people. He was telling them, hey man, you've never been this way before. God's going to do amazing things for you. Tell your neighbor. You've never been this way before. Tell them. Tell your person next to you. You've never been this way before. God's going to do amazing things. Yes, he is. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant when you reach the edge of the Jordan waters, go and stand in the river. What? Are you crazy? Go and stand in the river with the Ark? 
That's too precious of a thing. You're going to lose it. And this is the worst time to do that. Why? Because the, the Jordan was at flood stage. The Jordan was overflowing its banks. The Jordan was a raging river at that moment in time. It was unsafe to cross at that time. It was impractical to cross the Jordan River at that time. It was dangerous. Nobody should do that. And yet God was leading His people to do that, to take the step of faith. And this says, as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Now this is amazing. Think about it. Jericho, that city where Rahab lived, was almost in eyesight of the Jordan. Or at least they, I'm sure they had people looking at what was happening. And they're probably thinking, we've got a lot of time. The Jordan's at flood stage. There's no way the Israelites are going to be able to cross it. And yet, here it is. God opens up the river. They cross, the Bible says, on dry ground. What do you mean? Dry ground. That's another part of the miracle. That God could actually dry the ground where the water stopped, because it would be, the Jordan is a very muddy river. It'd be full of mud, and yet they were on dry ground. The priests who carried the ark of the, of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. So, why are we studying this today? Because I believe God wants to do amazing things in our own life and has done them. Sometimes we have to remember all the things that he's done. You know, we saw a video of uh, Long Island Alliance Church uh, about 10 years ago or even longer. And some of the things that I recall were the way that God worked in people's lives. Now, some of those people aren't here anymore today. God has sent them to do something else. But... But God has been working and doing amazing things in our lives, in their life as well. And so that's always to, we're always to remember that. And you know what Joshua did after they crossed the Jordan? They didn't go right to Jericho. In fact, they spent a couple weeks just on the other side of the bank. And what did they do? They remembered what God had done. And so the Bible says that Joshua chose 12 men, one from each tribe, and they were to take a rock, a stone, and carry it on their shoulder and bring it out from the middle of the Jordan and set it up at their camp and build a a memorial there. And so they build this memorial there. So why? So that their children can remember that God dried up the Jordan and they were able to cross on dry ground. And they built the memorial there. Do you know what happens when we take time to pray with our families, with one another? We begin to build a memorial. You begin to build into your kids and into your own life times when God has actually answered prayer and begun to do things that we could never do ourselves. And that's why it's so important 
to begin to take steps of faith, but also to remember what God has done, and then to also trust that he will do it again. So they build a memorial in Joshua 4, 27. Then they remember and renew their covenant with God. Joshua 5, 1 through 8 says that at that area um, of, of uh, the Jordan in Gilga, he had to circumcise all the men that had not been circumcised in the wilderness. And they renewed. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant that God had chosen them as his very own possession. And so they were circumcised then, and then they had to take time to heal. Well, instead of marching into Jericho, there again they were waiting on God. And then they celebrated the Passover. This is the first time they would celebrate the Passover. The Passover was a celebration of them coming out of Egypt, being slaves at one time, and now they were set free, and now they were going into the promised land. And all the time while they were before the promised land, God would give them manna, bread from heaven. He would send out bread from heaven and give it to them. They'd collect it and they'd eat it for one day. But after they crossed the Jordan, the manna stopped and they ate from the bounty of the uh, promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they celebrated the Passover. So as they're celebrating the Passover, Joshua, at the end of that time, goes and he looks at Jericho because he knows that's the next thing that God wants him to do is take the city of Jericho. And while he's going there, he's met by this figure. And what they call this is a theophany in the scriptures. It's a figure that represents the person of God or the person of Christ. And when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? He said, neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, this is interesting, this is what he said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. He said, Joshua, it's not about Jericho. It's not about you. It's about my glory. And where you're standing right now is holy ground and it's time for you to worship me and place your faith completely in, my, in me. Humble yourself before me. And that's what Joshua did. You see, when we take steps of faith and humility, God begins to work in our lives, not to exalt ourselves, but to glorify Him. But sometimes in those times, God's manifest presence is there in a most powerful way when we'll come to Him like that. And we'll come humbly to him. What are some faith steps for us today? First one is this. Recall the ways God has worked. And understand that he's going to do it again. So recall. Think back. Even talk. You know, sometimes I talk with my wife, Laura. I said, you know, I've been having this thought. And then she'll say, yeah, but what about this? God did this. And we remember what God did. And it gives us faith and courage. Another thing is, we don't have Passover, but we do have communion, right? 
So celebrate communion with humility. Today we're going to be having communion. It's the Lord's Supper. The Passover represented the blood that was put on the doorpost. Communion represents the blood of Jesus Christ that was poured out for us so that we can be totally forgiven. Celebrate communion with humility. Experience the manifest presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, so listen to Him. Listen to what He's doing and allow Him to manifest His presence in your life. Say, Lord, I want to know You better. I want to follow You. And then follow the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your life. It may be that God wants to lead you out of a time of of complacency. It may be a a thing that God wants to lead you out from uh, a time of struggle into something new. Or it may be that God is speaking to you right in in that struggle and He wants to teach you something. He wants to speak into your life right in the struggle that you're in. So allow Him to do that. Today, as we prepare our hearts for communion, uh, the worship team is going to come up and lead us in a song. But I want to encourage us to open up our hearts to the Lord today. Even as we examine ourselves, even as we think about uh, our place, where we're at in this walk of faith that God is calling us to take. He is taking you on a walk of faith. Walk with Him. Walk with Him. Don't resist Him. Walk with Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you call us to greater dependence upon you. And Lord, you also call us to remember all the things that you have done in the past, how faithful you have been in our lives, and how you will do it again in our lives. So Lord, we ask that you would continue to speak to us, even as we gather around your communion table today, Father. We ask that you would have your way in our lives, that you'll speak to us, the prompting of your Holy Spirit, your manifest presence. Lord, we need you. We need you to work in our lives. Lord, I pray that you'd minister hope, courage to anybody that's facing a difficult time in their lives right now. Minister your very presence to them. Pray this in Jesus' name.